0: hi welcome to ordinary people if you're new to the podcast welcome especially if you've been enjoying these it'd be really good if you could let us know or if you have any comments um any suggestions any complaints maybe the complaints could go into the special bin but uh, if you get any comments that'd be great (laughs) um and if you want to do that if you want to just say uh, let us know anything about our podcast that we are missing uh just head over to the website it's ordinarypodcast.com and also if you feel like sharing with your friends and just letting people know that this this exists and don't keep it to yourself so please do that um great to have andrew back evening uh and neil is going to introduce our guest so neil over to you good stuff
1: thanks paul Good to be back on with you again and Andrew. A real joy for me to um, to be able to introduce our guest tonight. Uh, Just off air, we're talking about how we're all aware, familiar with each other by reputation, and so it's good to be able to have a chance to sit down and chat with Pete Kernahan. And um, there's many, many strings to Pete's bow, but there's uh, one particular area that we're going to focus in on tonight. But just before we do that, Pete, Thanks for joining us, thanks for being here tonight, and uh, why don't you introduce yourself, tell us a wee bit about who you are, a bit about family, where you're from, and uh, anything else you want to add in.
2: All right, um, hello, welcome, hi, this is great, um, um, my name's Pete Kernigan. I um, have just turned 40, so on Saturday... So, I am just oozing wisdom all the time now since turning 40. It's unbelievable. Can't believe it. Um, I am I'm married uh, to Lisa um, uh, Kernigan now, formerly Emerson. Um, so, if you're Mid Ulster Mafia, you know that Emerson Emmanuel Church uh, in Lurgan. Um, so, uh, Lisa and we have two kids. Um, so, we have Poppy, who's 11, and she goes to Lagan uh college here in Belfast. And, and we have Leo, who is seven. He just turned seven on Sunday. So our birthdays are mm. right beside each other. Um, so he is currently running around outside torturing our dog, Baxter. Um, and uh, Baxter's like a burr. So she's like a puppy, on mental. Um, so we live in uh, the heart of East Belfast, but that's not the heart. It's like it's pure gentrified suburb. Um, so it's uh, just off of Cassaray Road, uh, near Orangeford Park, um, and uh, yeah, we go to Emmanuel Church in Lurgan, and um, yeah, so um, I'm a Man United fan. Oh, are you? Yeah. Never even. I never. we never even got chatting about what football. I've team got. Is. I've got my shirt and all on underneath here, but oh, yeah. 1992 original bad boy.
1: I remember I remember. Do you know why I remember that top, Pete? Because those were the. I'm a Leeds fan. And so that brings me back to our glory days. Leeds, the last time Leeds won the league was 91, 92, when my, when my new were probably playing in that very top.
2: That's right. That's right. I remember and, the, then, and then you sold as continent and everything changed.
0: That's, that's so- when I remember. That's, that's when I was pretending to like football. To
2: fit
1: in, I, I, I'm stunned. Here, Andrew has got involved in a football <laughs> conversation. I, I, I need a moment here, I can't believe it.
0: it's, it's a new world. 1996, that's my <laughs> <sighs> um, I feel like I need to go
1: here. I, I, you brought up Cantona, Pete. And uh, I the the only game I've ever went to see Leeds play was whenever they beat Chelsea 3 0, and Eric Cantona scored the third in a 3 0 victory at Ellen Road. And that that season ended and sold the U for one million. It was painful. You're bringing I up. Never
2: look back. I would never look up, back. Already painful
1: memories have been brought up at the start of this conversation, Pete.
2: Great. I like your start there.
1: We need to rescue it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Um, thanks for that, Pete. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We are. We are incredibly good friends of the. What was it, the Middlester Mafia?
2: <laughs> the Middlester Mafia, yeah, the Emerson clan. Like it's it, it's great. It is a great. It is a great tool. Like when I talk to anyone in and around that area, I go, "Oh, do you know any of the Emersons?" You know, because obviously my name is different. And uh, oh, they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah," and I'm like, "Oh well, I'm I'm Philip Emerson's son-in-law." And that changes the whole dynamic of the conversation. You know, you're getting money off and things, and it's amazing. And there's like a secret handshake. Do you know about it? No, no, there's, no, there's not. I'm only joking. <laughs> uh, yes,
1: yeah, so they're incredibly good friends of ours. So um, this is, that's where we uh, there, there's just there's a slight connection between us. So that's good. Um, Pete, you uh, you do incredible work. Um, with an organization called No More Trafficking. This this whole conversation around modern slavery and human trafficking is it's a really heavy one. It's, it's one, I think, that we, for whatever reason, we, we, we almost try to avoid it. We try to ignore it, suppress it, I think. We can be really yeah. guilty of that. Um, but I would love you just to talk a wee bit around the where, how, why the, your involvement in that came, came about.
2: Sure. Um, So No More Traffic um, started in 2011 and started, so our, go ahead, sorry, oh God, we better, it's just myself talking to myself (laughs) inside my head. Um, So uh, yeah, 2011 it started and the kind of uh, precursor to that um, was in 2008. Uh, 2009, I was in Paddy in Thailand and, um, and came across uh, sex trafficking for the first time in the kind of rawest form um, that you could really ever see. Um, I was there as part of um, a church kind of outreach worship program thing. And um, I was kind of young and um, kind of sheltered and, you know, like just I'd never seen kind of anything like that before. And completely broke myself and my, well, my best friend Aaron Boyd's heart um and we kind of wrote a song right there ended up going massive america and all that stuff and that's that's a whole different conversation but off the back of that we started um a a, a charity called standard international that raised money um for 29 small projects and um, in cambodia that rescued kids for child sex exploitation but it also um so it did, the 29 projects were 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 ranging from um, prevention and preventative stuff right the way to rehabilitative stuff. So the full kind of spectrum of that, and uh, that was facilitated by an organisation called uh, Viva Networks. And on the ground in Cambodia, uh, Chab Di, um, were the the, the organisation that we um, had partnership with, and I, I say that because Chab Di are, are are quite a a heavy influence on, on what No More Traffic has ev- evolved into. Um, and then, um, so I was kind of going back and forward to Cambodia um, and involved in those conversations and and, and becoming more and more kind of aware and educated around the, the global issue of human trafficking and modern slavery mm-hmm. um, with a kind of Southeast Asia focus. And, and as the conversation rolls, you, you become more and more aware of what's happening and more and more in the conversation of what's happening at home. And at this point in time, around 2010, and 2010 started 2011, um, there wasn't too much of an NGO presence really here in Northern Ireland doing um, anything around Montessori or human trafficking. There was a few people that were kind of having the conversation. Um, and then one one evening, actually, two of my friends came to, to, to the house to talk about um, something completely different and uh, we ended up talking about um modern slavery human trafficking stuff and uh, and they were comp- kind of the, the same moment i had of in padia where they were just kind of completely like right we need to do something about this mm. um and the next day they came back and they were like well let's do something let's raise awareness let's do a couple of events so um i was like okay this is like november time and uh, they were like we're, we're thinking about may and I was like, I was thinking about May the next year. I was thinking like 18 months down the line or something. But they were like, nah, let's go cool, May, right? So I was like, okay. And um, so we started off doing one or two events. It ended up turning into a week-long of events with, um, I think there was 42 events and 24 partner organizations involved, uh, ranging from Women's Aid to wow. the PSNI, the Department of Justice, and... Um, and, and that was the, the kind of, we, we were like, okay, well, we just started off just trying to plan some events to raise some awareness. And there's obviously a, a conversation and a, a heart yearning for this. And so then we, we kind of formed more formal in a kind of charity sense and registered with the Charities Commission in 2012. Um, since then, um, what we've kind of been doing, we are primarily based around Um, awareness raising and frontline professional training and advocacy Um, and um, so we have consulted on the first piece of updated uh, modern slavery legislation in 200 years which was Lord Morrow's bill Um, and that was the precursor to the 2015 Mm -hmm. modern slavery act that is around the UK um, at the moment Um, and where we help shape um, the uh, strategy, Modern slavery, Human Trafficking Strategy with the Department of Justice and, and the other NGOs in the NGO en- engagement group. There's about 14 other NGOs involved in that group. Um, and uh, so we help, um, so we speak into that. Um, and then we train the PSNI recruits. So for the last seven years, uh, we, every PSNI recruit, um, mm-hmm. we get some Modern slavery, Human Trafficking tra- training that is hosted by ourselves and the Modern Savory Human Trafficking Unit within the PSNI. So we share that training. Um, and then, so we do other frontline professional training, midwives, doctors, dentists, uh, social workers, uh, homeless community. Um, so yeah, so that's what we kind of do. And then, and like some kind of uh, public awareness stuff as well.
1: Very good. That's amazing, Pete. Incredible what you're doing. Just, just when you're on that, um, just really quickly, we... We had uh, we had a girl came and did some training with us so I don't know how much you know about the, the charity that we're a part of dropping so we have charity shops all across
2: okay
1: all across Northern Ireland and it was one of those things that a couple of years ago um, me and my brother-in-law David ended up um, becoming aware of what was going on locally mm-hmm. this was a this was a, a real need. As we'd seen we'd been part of some stuff that was that was going on going on across the world and really naive to what was going on, on yeah. our in our own communities. And so I, I don't need to I don't need labour on, but I just like we we brought somebody in to train our staff and what what to look out for. It'd be great if you could speak into this a wee bit more. But some of the signs to be aware of, and yeah. one of the shops in particular picked up on the training that she'd received and then was able to. Uh, to bring, uh, bring one of those needs or one of those cases to to the PSNI in one of our towns, um, not too far from here. So, uh, all that stuff is is incredibly important. So, can you talk a wee bit around?
2: Signs spotting. Yeah. So, um,
1: on the signs and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, so like some of the like there's kind of key indicators and um, and it, it, it the scenarios change and um, and what we have found with modern slavery and human trafficking it's is that it's very entwined in, in in lots of different aspects of society and 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 the indicators for those um, scenarios look different, you know, depending on where you are. Yeah. Um but some of the there's some common indicators that mm-hmm. um, are useful and 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 good to know that you know so um, for example if somebody's um, in control of somebody else's money for example um, so we maybe see that in car wash the hand the money to uh, a central person or they don't have access to their own money and um, they're maybe under uh, control and um, so maybe overly fearful of the police or o- overly fearful of the authorities um, and they seem to be controlled by someone else Mm -hmm. um, is a a huge indicator. A huge, another one is identification. So if somebody is holding their um, identification, their uh, passport, their ID, they don't have access to it. They can't come and go freely. um, Maybe they they sleep where they work um, or they live in an overcrowded living space and um, that's not a living space that's not appropriate for that number of people, mm-hmm. um, maybe a property. Uh, so if we're, those are kind of key indicators around a person, but in a property, maybe, um, you know, it's very busy, you know, and busy at a regular hours, got a lot of common going through the night, maybe blacked out curtains, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe um, there's a, a number of, of unrelated adults, you know, you know, coming and growing and very present in that house, Um, and maybe there's a good turnover of people um, within it, that's an indicator. Um, And then people working long hours, maybe um, like a child or an adult is, hold on, my son's in. What are you looking for, bud? (coughs) Okay. (laughs) Must be a (laughs) month. And um uh, uh, maybe like the relationship between the child and the adult is that this is working from home, right? You know, this is what it is. Um so uh the ch- the relationship between the child and the adult is unclear. Um, so you can't really identify. And um, and then maybe some a person who doesn't know um their own home or work address or doesn't know where they are, um, and maybe doesn't know how they came to be there. Um mm-hmm is another indicator but those are some of the gen- more general ones um when we're kind of looking at different scenarios you know like when we look at the homeless community or we look at social work or um kids in the car system and um you know we're looking at different uh, aspects you know medical profession like unexplained injuries things like that um they, they change from scenario to scenario so but those are some of the kind of key ones very good it's really helpful pete um
1: so, so could you give us Could you speak in so we'll talk a me. bit obviously um we've 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 said that no more traffic is um founded in northern ireland and focused in northern ireland yeah some of, that st- some of what you've brought there is really important can you give us an idea of of what's happening in northern ireland are you able to like sp- spend a bit of time just t- letting us know Sure. Those- we I mean, are naive to the fact that this is taking place within our communities
2: okay and um, it's probably useful to know what um, modern slavery and human trafficking is mm. so um, so modern slavery is the umbrella term so it's an umbrella term for human trafficking and forced and compulsory labor right so um, there's kind of two worlds that exist here so when we think about modern slavery and human trafficking we often um, go to um, we also often go to sex trafficking, right? Because it's the most talked about and probably the most glamorized. And um, we can probably thank Liam Neeson for that, you know, and uh, so, and it doesn't look like, you know, what ha- what happened in taken, okay? So, um, you know, like uh, the, the vast majority of, of modern human trafficking isn't white fans rolling up on the side of a curb and bundling somebody into the back that does happen but that is the minority of what is is going on so the globally there's about 40.3 million people enslaved in the world today um, and uh, different numbers will, will will go up to 45 million and um, and that in, so the 45 million would include forced marriage but we take the forced marriage thing out of the equation and we look at the 40.3 million that breaks down into different exploitation types. So forced and compulsory labour would be one uh, form of exploitation. So that looks like big business, people in factories. So when you're thinking about um, the Boohoo factory in Leicester, um, you know, so loads of people working in this factory, right the way down to small agricultural businesses like apple picking, mushroom picking, fisheries, things like that. Those are some key Key industries where forced labour will happen, but it's the full spectrum: big business, the small business, um, sex exploitation. So that's the like what it, what it says on the tin: the exploitation of um, of, of people for sex. Um, now, w- when we think about the forty point three million, the gender split is about it's about seventy five percent female at that point. So, um, in that forty point three. Um but when we look at sex exploitation, the gender splits off the chart. So it's about 99% female. Um and so, you know, so we we think about so especially in, in the climate that we're in around gender equality. Um mm-hmm. there is a huge gender inequality within modern slavery and human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's naive for people to go off uh, the genders are equal not in this world it's just not yeah. that's just not a thing um so yeah so sex exploitation then we have um domestic servitude which is essentially living slaves very common in the kind of arab um and kind of emirate kind of area that's a kind of normal cultural um kind of thing that goes on there kind of accepted as a social Social norm norm. which -hmm. which is interesting for um you know what we we see now with um you know more migration and, and things happening here and and kind of normalized cultural practices being brought to northern ireland you know so there's the tension of that and um you know that doesn't mean that all of a sudden because there's a cultural norm somewhere else that it becomes legal here that's That's not what it is. It's it's still illegal. So um, and then we have um, criminal exploitation. So it's the exploitation of somebody for for crime. So that's like forced begging, drug peddling. um, You know, so um, there's so many kind of, you know, instances of that. And then this is kind of really dark. Um, but the, so, it's organ harvesting would be the last form of exploitation. So, essentially, the removal of people's organs in back, um, back alley surgeries, and they're, they're sold online uh, or sold in, in, sold on to other buyers in, in those surgeries. Um, and um, that again, when I say organ harvesting, everybody goes like it's something over in Southeast Asia or Africa or something like that. Um, now we have never had a reported case of um, of organ harvesting here in Northern Ireland, but there have been cases in England and there have been cases in Wales. Um, and and I'm not talking I'm not talking ten years ago. I'm talking last year. You know, so yeah, it's 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 big business. So and that's to understand what what those different forms are. That's good, thanks, and. Um, what we're seeing in Northern Ireland, right, is we're seeing a lot of forced labour. So we're seeing a lot of stuff happen in agriculture, um, in factories, and things like that. Um, and what we look at a, a, for a level of measurement, it's not very accurate, but we look at a level of measurement around what's called the National referral Mechanism. And um, so there's statistics for the past maybe about five, six years has had forced labour as the the number one exploitation type uh, within Northern Ireland this year just passed was the first time that sexual exploitation had overtaken that. Um, Now that's, but I always say that's that with a a little side note, right? So the national referral mechanism is the UK wide provision for people who have been identified as human trafficking victims and have access services. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's so important that we know that these numbers are the people that have exited and are accessing services. This is not representative of what the, pro- the scale of the problem is. Yeah. And people then often, when they see the, the stats, they go, oh, well, this is very, these numbers are very low. And yes, they are low. But, and then if they look at them over the next, like, over the last ten years, you can see them increasing, and people go, "Oh well, human trafficking is on the increase, and money savings on the yeah. increase." We actually want these numbers to increase. We want these numbers year on year to go up. The reason why is that that means that people are getting rescued, that people are getting accessed and are accessing services and being identified, and frontline professionals are identifying that these people are human trafficking victims. Mm. And there's a lot of there's a lot of nuance. And tensions yeah. within human trafficking and modern slavery, um, because it's it's not it's not a like it's not like a lot of other crimes because it's so complex and there's so much coercion, unspoken manipulation, um, migration issues, violence, um, you know, cultural understanding. There's so much of all of these aspects play into it and make it really hard to spot. So. In a sense of what the scale of the problem is, you know, like I can't give you some numbers, you know, I can't turn around and go, well, yeah. there's we estimate that there's, it, you know, it does no service to what we're trying to do here. You know, so all I can say is that, you know, year on year, we have identified more victims and more victims are getting access to services. And um, That is not fully representative of the problem, though. Uh, the problem is 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 big, ingrained, and complex within our societies, and often goes completely unseen. Um, so, and and that's why doing stuff like this is important, where we become a wee bit more aware of some of the stuff that that we're kind of encountering. Yeah, well, wow. it's,
1: it's really helpful. It's so interesting, as you and as you said, so
2: so nuanced and complex. Um, seconds. I'm just gonna close my door here. Few seconds. Don't want them kids coming back.
1: Be here now, Pete. you are back. I said. Um. So. I know this. Is, I know this is probably such a vague question, but like, what are you? What are you, What are you dreaming for when it comes to like best strategy or? what what is it that you're i suppose what is it what is it you're hoping for as you continue to train and raise awareness and
2: yeah it, it that's a, yeah it's a fair question it's a it's a nuance uh, like i think it's funny that I, the more i get into i don't it's not cynicism but i think it's reality you know like the initially you know my thing was uh, when i stood up and we launched no more traffic I said I wanted to see an end of slavery in my lifetime. Mm. And and I still want that. But the more I'm into it, I, the less I believe I can see that. You know, the less I believe that I'll see an end of slavery in my lifetime. You know, because the more I know, the, the more I see the scale and the more I, I see the vast, and that's not the, that's not a, that's not a depressing thing. That's not a depressing thing where, where, well, we'll not do anything about it. You know, like it's, it's more reality of going, right, well, this is a lot more ingrained in our society than, than what I maybe naively gave a credit for at the start. And, um, and it's important that it's important when, for me, this is a life posture. It, like it's not like this isn't a career like and you uh, we're probably all in this like if you're going for careers charity work isn't the career right <laughs> so that it's not it's not a good career choice just so right so it's this is a life posture thing mm. and how to position your life in, in in somewhere and and this is for me this is it you know when when i seen that that first kid in in patty i knew that this was this is what I'm going to give my life to. And, and, and I still believe that and I'll still do that in whatever format it takes At, at, at this juncture, it is in employment with no more traffic as a development director, you know, whatever it looks like in the future, but it will always be the posture around modern slavery and human trafficking and lifestyle that my life towards that. And, um, but my, my hope is, is is for broader stories, right? And I think we zoom in and we do this so all the time within the NGO sector is that we zoom in on the, the key point of people's carnage and we make all we talk about that key point.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And for me and for my hope, for the people that are entrapped in, in, in slavery is that this moment is short and brief and they will not be defined and they'll not be defined by it for the rest of their lives. That's my hope, mm. you know, and, and, and people think, oh, well, you know, why didn't they leave or, you know, like the brutality and the carnage that ensues within those scenarios will be with someone for the rest of their life. And, and what does it look like? So I care more about the other side of it. You know, like the healing, the the working through the trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, like I care as much about that aftercare, about the moment after they leave or the moment after their explorer gets convicted two years down the line after the incident or whatever. I, I, it's more that that I'm more hopeful and excited about that they can flourish you know it's amazing I was talking to actually talking to Helen from Chad Dye and um, and she t- tells this great story of like sharing the platform with it, somebody who had exited um, slavery and, and all that stuff and she got a PhD she'd become a researcher she That's, was give, giving talks about and honestly every human trafficking at academic conferences, you know, like that, that's, and like, that's the stuff that is, that's where we, that's where I'm aiming. I'm I'm aiming to get people over there, you know, like, you know, and to get people there, I have to do all the stuff in, in this world to get them out. And in this world to help stop people going in. Mm. So, Yeah that is such a vague and Uh all over the place answer but
1: well i know it was a vague question and i'm glad i'm sort of glad that i I asked it just to get that answer because i'm like i'm just personally just so moved by that response so that's a it's a life posture not a career it's just how you positioned your life and so and so I i find myself like that's really helpful language because i probably find myself what looks like Getting into get into the chart, get into the church world because of all these dreams and hopes that I believe that I'll see in my lifetime, but probably feeling more certain that I'll not see them. I
0: uh, know,
1: but yeah, but, but like more confident in my my life posture. Like I think that's so. Like just what you're sharing there is just giving me some really helpful language for probably where I feel not in the same world as you, but something yeah something similar. Um, yeah, and I've probably went the wrong way around it, but just that you've, you've touched on some of the things that, that that are frustrating. Is there stuff around COVID or Brexit or anything like that, that that is actually you're finding is is causing the work to be more frustrating and challenging over the last couple of years?
2: <laughs> it's all, my work's always frustrating and challenging, you know, because... My thing is, my thing is, is that you don't. I don't come home from work and go. I achieved that today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just don't. I don't have that. You know, like I don't have that. You know, like I come home from work and people are still getting exploited. You know, like you know, I I come home and sit down and I've maybe done my emails or done a training or or whatever and people are still in carnage. You know, like like and that. I, <laughs> I used to have to go out and paint a wall and stuff like that. So I just had some sense of achievement, you know, like some sense of like, oh, I did this today, you know, like there's that sanction of wall that was painted, you know, like, yep, uh, you know, achieve something, right? Like, like looking at my sent emails isn't, you know, doesn't add too much value to my life, you know. <laughs> so, um, uh, but in regards to COVID and and and, and Brexit, it, what, what it's done is it's not – Created frustrations. It's created new problems. Yes. Um, So, and so that, and that's that's the world. That's the world that modern slavery lives in. You know, like, like it's you know it's international organized crime. Mm -hmm. And at any point when there, so the key points of when human trafficking surges, natural disasters, right? Mm -hmm. So we've seen there's a natural natural disaster in a place, human trafficking through the roof. Haiti, yeah. human trafficking through the roof. Why? Because uncertainty and uncomfort and things that shake societies and break structures and do all of that stuff make people vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And the key thing about ex- exploitation is vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Vulnerability all the time. And naively, people will say it's about poverty. It's a money thing. Yes, it's a money thing for the organized crime people. Yeah. But what they what do they use to get money? They use the exploitation of vulnerability. Whatever that vulnerability is, natural disasters, substance abuse, you know, like um, unaccompanied minors, immigration laws, you know, you, take your pick, take your pick of vulnerability, they'll exploit it. And and so with Brexit, um, I'll sp- speak about COVID, you know, so lockdowns are really interesting for the modern slavery world. Um because what we've seen is a huge huge surge around online exploitation and what that looks like. So um, you'll see kids getting groomed and exploited and, and all of that stuff that's going on online. And that poses completely different problems for NGOs, frontline professionals, because a lot of these signs and indicators will always point to an individual, another individual in that person's life. Mm-hmm. So, But then put that in the digital realm, right? Put that into the digital realm. There's no one to point that. So the victim is maybe displaying the same symptoms, the same isolation, the same stuff. That's all going on. But there is no person to point this exploitation to. There's just a computer or a digital entity. And you begin to see how this then, the nuances of all and the complexity of all of this plays in. And, you know, like, I don't even want to go down the road over, like, internet platforms and, you know, privacy law and mm. how that then lines up against criminal proceedings and all of this stuff and um, encryption and, you know, like, it's a whole minefield. Mm. But do you, see, you see huge levels of online exploitation uh, going on. And we've seen a huge, like, within the last um, year, we've seen a real pushback ar- around online exploitation and some big companies being exposed and um you know and you know the the porn hub case is a really prime example of that um you know so um yeah so the online stuff is 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 crazy and uh, brexit poses a whole nother different kettle of fish because what it's really interesting for northern ireland you know so Northern Ireland is under it, has its own legislation within um, modern state of human trafficking, all, all, as well as being under the UK, kind of, you know, kind of legislation. But um, it, Northern Ireland is, is so interesting politically, it had positioning, um, geographical positioning, too, um, you know, so. You know, I used to like years ago before the whole Brexit thing. We used to talk about being the gateway to UK, so trafficking would happen through Ireland up into Northern Ireland and then into the UK because of all the open borders. Now we're the only open border between not just Ireland but Europe. So we're the only unsecured or open border between the UK and Europe, and if we thought that. northern ireland was a transit and destination place before brexit it's even more so now and and the vagueness and the uncertainty and the not knowing uh is the northern ireland protocol does apply you know like what what does stepping out of the european arrest warrant do you know Mm -hmm. for all of these because human trafficking is an international crime you know so you know, stepping outside the European restaurant, how does that play out for get, getting perpetrators? Um, you know, like, well, what does it look like when we share an open border with the Republic of Ireland? And I'm not being critical, this is just fact. So there's a, the Republic of Ireland's response um, from a governmental point and, and legislative standpoint is shockingly poor. That's me being diplomatic. Um, the last three years, um, there's a uh, the, the United States um, Home Office um, or State Department, sorry, um they they release a trafficking in persons report. So essentially, they they set a, a bar, um, and um, they survey all of the countries that are a part of this this group who are willing to to be involved in the, in, in the conversation around trafficking in persons. Um, and they re- release a report every year, the, the TIP report, Trafficking in Persons report. Um, and there's four tiers. Tier one being the, the best response. Uh, tier two, um, points for concern. And then there's the tier two watch list, uh, which is like, um, it doesn't meet the standard to, to be in tier two. And there are serious concerns around their lack of um, lack of progress. And then tier three, which is just really bad response. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the UK and Northern Ireland are ranked in tier one. Um, and the last three years, the Republic of Ireland being downgraded twice, so from tier one to tier two, and now they're on the tier two watch list. Yes. Other tier two watch list countries are Cambodia, Bangladesh, India. You know, and that is so. The Republic of Ireland in 2015 mirrored the t- 2015 Modern Slavery Act and installed and their own modern slavery legislation. To date, there has not been one conviction under that legislation, not one. No. So if we're going to measure governmental response, you measure by prosecutions. Mm-hmm. There's not one. Okay. No, that doesn't that doesn't mean to say. No, there's brilliant work. There's some great, great, great NGO work, and there are some really sharp people who are doing amazing things around human rights. Who are yeah. doing amazing things around modern slavery and human trafficking. Who are in Ireland, like the UN spe- the UN special rapporteur for modern slavery and human trafficking is Irish. You know, so there are good people, yeah, good stuff, and good organizations in the Republic who um, are doing great things, but there is a massive break between law enforcement and governmental policy and legislation that is making people vulnerable. That, no doubt in my mind, will have a direct and will and does have a direct impact on modern slavery and human trafficking victims in Northern Ireland. And we can point to the Essex case and say we can categorically state that North, South, Divide does not apply when people are being smuggled and trafficked. Now, a, a note with, an, with the, the Essex case, that was a people smuggling case. So that was a crime against the state where people paid to get on the, on the lorry and and, and the, for safe passage, in essence. Yeah. But there is a huge gray area. When they get off that lorry, mm-hmm. they are extremely vulnerable to becoming human trafficking and modern slavery victims. Right. So there's a huge gray area. So I'm not saying that 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 was human trafficking. I'm saying that was people smuggling. But those people were very, very vulnerable. And it it was obviously a tragedy um, that they all passed away. But if you look into the story and read the story, you will see the nuances of and the connections of Northern Irish people, Republic of Ireland people working together with European organizations to traffic people. Mm. Um and there's an interesting report in the Irish Times where a guy who was a a hauler is speaking about that, and he is like, "Cash is king," you know. Cash is king. No one cares about Protestant or Catholic. Yeah. No one cares about that when there's money on the table, mm. and that's the reality of where they're at. There's big Republicans and big loyalists Mm. cashing in on exploiting people just the way it is when you think that there was 30 people or you know 30 plus people on that lorry and they were minimum paying 10 grand each Mm -hmm. and like this isn't like a one-off thing like that lorry was in a convoy with another lorry that there was another trailer that got into the uk that was attached to that trailer and it was just happened that 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 trailer got delayed that got delayed, and I think it got delayed in Europe somewhere. Um, and missed missed one boat, and um, and that was w- how, how the, the people ended up passing away. You know, th- this is happening mm-hmm. again and again and again. So, an open border, a sharp like an open border that is won't be policed, and and like I, you know, don't forget the political connotations of all of that. It just makes people more vulnerable. It does. You know, Brexit will make people more vulnerable to modern slavery. There's mm-hmm. a, like we think about right. So like the Brexit thing, you got me. Um, so <laughs> right. So we think about right, you know, um, freedom to work mm-hmm. for European citizens. So there's a one point they estimate there's gonna be a one point four million shortfall in migrant work. Right. So one point four million people out Mm -hmm. of the migrant workforce, that's the shortfall. Who's going to fill that?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Who's going to fill that? Mm -hmm. Right? And who's going to work? And and normally, these jobs are low-paid jobs that, essentially, nationals don't want to do. And what we have, then, is we have a huge gaping void in industry that needs to be filled And the pressure will be on the industry to fill that void. And so you have all of these businesses who are getting it tight enough as it is with COVID and all of that stuff. And they need a workforce. They need a workforce. They need people who are going to go in and do this work. So all it takes is a middleman to come up and say, yeah, I'll give you a workforce. No problem. I'll give you a workforce. Just pay me directly. I'll sort it all out. No problem. And these businesses they're so focused on trying to make their business work, like just make yeah. their business work that they'll go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Bank, Away they go. And they're not doing their due diligence. They're not doing their, they're kind of, you know, looking down the line at what's going on. They're paying this money in the one bank account. And all of a sudden this business who maybe out of the best intention or, or like, well, That's kind of a sin of omission, isn't it, right? Which is just as bad as anything. But, you know, like, they're they're now part of this. You know, so these people working there, not getting paid because the middleman's taking all the money and they're there, the middleman has their passports and this business needs needs a workforce. And so there's a lot of conversations you dig in. If you dig in a wee bit on some of the immigration plans um, by the UK UK government, the Home Office, there's big gaping voids that will make people vulnerable, um, and there's really good work happening in the UK around advocacy around that. Um, but yeah, so those are the, those are some of the real kind of tensions and um, and key points around COVID and Brexit. Oh well, man, like I, there's probably a thing I saw I like, had
1: like a. Bit of an understanding of what was going on. Like I, I'm honestly, I'm like, I feel like my jaws dropped to the floor, just stunned by by what's going on, the implications, and all the the knock on effects of all that's going on the last couple of years. Honestly, just completely stunned by all of that, Pete. Um, so I just want to ask you, to to, to to navigate the next part of this conversation because I uh, honestly just i'm really really grateful for it for you need it needs a certain person to be like to be able to carry this and uh you're clearly that you're clearly that person um with well, time i know time's, time's flying on uh no i
2: talk about have,
1: this all day right? and you talk about that all day and you have so just this idea of storytelling this idea of ethical storytelling that um that you mentioned and it was one of those things again that, that i'd heard people use before but never really touched on it and so you mentioned it in a in a direct message on twitter a couple of days ago and i just so interested in hearing a bit okay so even if you open even if you open up the conversation
2: and see where it goes or how far, okay. how far and wide we want to take it and uh so um yeah the ethical storytelling is a piece that um We've been around for a, a good number of years um, within No More Traffic. And, um, and really the premise of it is, is how do we tell a story well? You know, and how do we empower the story? Because the story is owned not by the organization mm-hmm. and not by, not by anybody else, but the person that it happened to. So it's their story right and so the key dynamic in in ethical storytelling is that is that we have to understand power balances so if we don't understand power balances we'll never tell stories ethically so if we don't understand the power imbalance even between organizations and people that they're helping if we don't understand that power imbalance of course there will be one there even if the organization says that there's not there and they don't feel like there's one there or whatever. There is one there Mm -hmm. because the person that they have helped has been helped by them and they naturally feel, they will naturally feel indebted, right? Because of the help that they've received. Mm -hmm. So if I came up to a person who my organization had, had helped, now we don't work directly with human trafficking victims, but hypothetically, um, if I came up to someone and said, Can we tell your story? How, like, let's flip that into them and they have received this help from us. They trust, they trust us. Of course, they're going to say yes. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're going to say yes. So, we need to understand oh, that yeah. power imbalance and, and we've got to, we've got to understand that and we've got to go, Okay. I, I wouldn't want to tell a story that wasn't mine, right? I wouldn't have the right to that. You know, I wouldn't want to do that. So why, why do organizations and NGOs specifically feel like they have the right to tell that story? Mm-hmm. And when we push a wee bit deeper, and this is the darkness around, uh, around this world, Is that they're leveraging story for charitable gain. Right? So the playoff is is that why do we why do we need to tell and we'll guise it, we'll guise it to make ourselves feel better. Is that this is about forwarding the issue, voices need to be heard on all of this stuff. We need to forward the issue, blah blah blah. We need it, we need to humanize this, we need we need people, we need faces. We need that. We need all of this because we want to invoke this emotional reaction out of the out of the person that reads the story, or and we want to motivate them to the action. What's the action? Nine times out of ten, it's donate money. Mm-hmm. And 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 for me, it just feels like a re-victimization and a re-exploitation of people for the same reason that they were exploited in the first time, oh. money. And, and, and I'm being a bit callous and a bit harsh, and there's, there's a lot more to this than just that. Mm-hmm. But that is my big thing, is, is that I don't have the rights to somebody's story. I yeah. don't, yeah. And, I, and it's not okay to tell that story. And I think there's, a, there's such an interesting piece in this of, of, of moments in time, and you go, well, this is somebody's moment in time. And it's terrible. It is heartbreaking. It is absolutely devastating. And this moment of time will burden them for the rest of their lives. Organizations and churches or NGOs or whatever do not need to lift this piece of their story out, put it on a pedestal for everybody to look at for the rest of time while this person tries to navigate the trauma of this moment. Mm. They yeah. don't need to do that. Now we've got to empower the voices and I'm not saying don't tell stories and I'm not doing all of that stuff, but mm-hmm. the stories need to be done ethically in a way that empowers the user and the, the storyteller and it doesn't rob them of their voice and it doesn't exploit them for gain, for mm-hmm. charitable organizational mm-hmm. gain. Um, and, and that that is the key that's the key piece in this you know so do, there's a, there, there's a great and I want to point if if, if if this is interesting to you go to ethicalstorytelling.com this is and they are by far the absolute gurus of this you know so um, they have a pledge on there um you know like they can consent as an organization and it will give you great resources useful tools on how to do ethical storytelling well, and and that is, it. and I think it's a really interesting piece. and And we had a conversation last week about about this, and and organizations are now putting in what are what are called sunset clauses. And I, I think this is a really, really key thing. and And that means that there's an agreement between the person and the organization that mm-hmm. the organization will only use their their story in the way that they want. For a certain amount of time,
1: yeah.
2: And I just think there's something beautiful in that, yeah. and you know, we're, we're taking a moment in time, and we're saying we will talk about this with your approval, and in the way that you've shaped, and you, your voice is being heard, and we are we're following your lead mm-hmm. on this, and but we will only use it for this, this moment of time, yeah. and after that, we will take it down off our social media, off our website offer yeah. resources and and that and that's that. And I just think there's something in that. Yeah. And I think there's something in that for us as as NGO communities, but I think there's something really big in that for us as uh, as church communities. Yeah, definitely. So
1: so I'm still getting my head around this, so if I can just give a couple of examples to make sure that I'm like that, I'm tracking with this well. So mm-hmm. I, I think why I, whenever whenever you sent that message message, I think why I reacted to this idea of ethical storytelling is because me, me and my wife Judith, we we had, we've been having these conversations sort of off and on over the last couple few months, but we our youngest child is adopted, mm-hmm. and so recently. Um, a, especially listen to other adopters who have been in this journey as well. It is so easy, Pete, because I I probably speak in our church most Sundays. Mm -hmm. And so what I think I've done, and what I've witnessed a lot of other preachers do is to use their children, and then the temptation is then to use my adopted daughter's story to try and to use that as an illustration to prove my point. Or to cause an emotion out of you know what i mean yeah and so i'm just wondering is that like i know we're i know it's taking i know it's taken off on a tangent But so what we've committed to is not only with her so we've committed that we are not going to tell her story that is not whether she's our daughter or not it's her place to tell her story yeah and i have i found a couple two or three weeks ago on sunday I spoke and I used my two boys as an illustration in what I was speaking, and Judith came in and said, uh, "You just to remind you, you used the boys as an illustration." A part of me gets defensive, you know what I mean? Like as a <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. say. Why can't I just say they did a great job preaching or whatever? But anyway, yeah, yeah. but it was one of those things that actually we don't we're not just going to do that with 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 our with our daughter Katie. We're going to do it with all of our kids. And I yeah. went. And, it was actually a, it almost felt like a holy moment. I went and apologized to the boys and said I used your story without asking your permission. And I know. I know. that that's so like so minor compared to some of the stuff that you're that you're talking about. Yeah. But I think it's, it feels like to me, it's on that sort of like that similar, similar path.
2: Yeah. I, and I always think that when we, we look at the power imbalance, even like, so there's like, so mm-hmm. I al- will always go back to the power imbalance. Yes. So there's a power imbalance between parent and child. There is, and there, there should be, right? To a point, right? <laughs> Not getting control, but don't show my kids that. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> but there is, right? And the role of the parent here is an interesting is an interesting piece, right? Mm-hmm. Because what we then do is actually what we do with our kids is put a hedge of protection around them,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? Mm-hmm. So, and I'm like, so let let's carry this. So when there's a power imbalance, what we do is we we protect mm-hmm. and we go. Actually, do you know what? You don't need to know this. Why why am I why am I exposing this? Yes. To all of these people, like I, now I'm, I'm protecting this. Mm. You know, I, like I'm not letting all of these people get get to you. Like, you know, like I look at that when it, in relation to my daughter. You know, and, and internet use and all of that stuff. You know, like, and like I'm the barrier. I'm I'm the stop of going right. Well, hold on. So as organizations, we have got to go. You know, like when when we're telling stories, we've got to, the. To humble ourselves and go well this is not about exposing something so we can create an emotion or get 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 the information out or leverage something so that we get something in return this is about protection this is about keeping keeping yeah. the story owned by the individual owned by that person and um so the I think we, we always will come to this place around three kind of core principles around this. And speaking from an organizational standpoint, is is humility, um, honesty and transparency. Mm-hmm. So if we if we if we apply these three filters and go, you know, you know, is this is this are we telling this story out of humility?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, are we telling this story honestly? And transparently, mm-hmm. you know. Then, uh, if we're working through those filters, I think I think we'll naturally change the way we tell stories um, and what stories we tell.
1: Yeah,
2: you know, you know. So,
1: yeah, and you, I think in you, you had said that that this the, this conversation did have wider implications for society. So I yeah. and, and I maybe get myself in trouble here, but. I, there's been part of me over, over the last year, over lockdown, that I have watched some churches, social media feeds and just been uncomfortable. And so whenever you give that, whenever you give some of that stuff around ethical storytelling, I think that's why I felt uncomfortable. Mm. It's that power imbalance. It's almost like they're taking control and they're, it almost feels like they're, they're taking advantage of somebody's story and it doesn't feel humble. It feels like they're more interested in in the stats and how much people that that they have fed and how and I and I found myself just being really uncomfortable with that. I found myself really checking myself in that as well. What like what am I more focused on? Am I more focused on how much we've given away, or am I more focused on the the people? You know what I mean? And so that, and I think yeah. you touched on already, Pete, that we still. I still think the church is not good at this. We still reduce individuals to their lack. We still reduce them to the challenges that they still face. That's good. And That's I'm, good. And I'm so concerned, as a church, like somebody involved in leading church, I'm so concerned by that, you know what I mean? And, yeah.
0: Well,
2: that, it's interesting that you point to the church thing. You know, like, I, it's it's a really interesting. I, I would probably be in the same boat. You know, I feel like, we are the, the church is becoming. They look at their social media like a promotional tool, mm. so they they've got sucked into advertising yeah. and marketing. Mm. And I know no offense to any marketers out there, but it's not the most honest or transparent. You know, industry. You know, them and estate agents are pretty much the ones who only get paid to lie. You know, like <laughs> don't really like a lot of estate agents either. Um, so <laughs> the only token if you're an estate agent, you're dead on. Um Kinda, there's one in East Belfast, isn't? And um, so, <laughs> but yeah. it's that. It's you know, we get we're getting sucked in and representative, right? So like, I, I like I look at some i've seen some places you know that you know they put out all of this stuff it's really coolly designed really youthful all of that stuff you know there's not one person who's over 24 in in the imagery right you go to the church and you know you know they go to the church and 75 percent 75 percent of these people are over yeah. over um oh are over 25 and have families now what does that do for the people in the in the room Mm -hmm. what does that say to the people in the room so you're saying one thing to the people online but you're saying something completely different to the people in the room Mm -hmm. so where's the humility where's the honesty and where's the transparency
0: yeah feels to me that there's um we are sort of we're gravitated towards making people heroes, and I suppose that's maybe like a yeah. There's a market, yeah. of, there's a market of thing around that, you know, and even and that's been I don't know whether it's it's watching films and stuff where we go, oh, we you know we're cool. dead to with the hero and so on, but even kind of uh, how you you talk about a charity saying if you do you're going to save this child's life and stuff, making someone feel like the hero rather than going. there's a genuine problem here. Um, We want you to know about it. Um, If you can help, that would be great. Um, Mm -hmm. Rather than kind of going, uh, yeah, trying to sort of make people feel like heroes. And I think what you're saying there about um, making people uh, almost selling their, selling their story and stuff to give people that hero feel it is really wrong it is really it's bizarre and, and, when you think about it yeah
2: yeah and we we don't the, the thing is right the mm. thing is is that it's covered by the best intention right and it's covered by the guys of doing the right thing yeah. so what you're going is just, right oh we'll get, do this because what that does is gets us more money in, and we'll be able to do more programs we'll be able to pour more staff do more things and therefore you know like it's risk and reward like element of risk exploit someone a wee bit for their story here but reward we can do more stuff with people right so and that see that playoff it's just it's just not right like it's just not right like so you're better going slow and small mm-hmm. and steady yeah. and right yeah. than you are going fast, quick and wrong. I oh, yeah. <laughs> like it just, it's just not. And, and that's the problem with society and church culture. And all of that is that we just want to go quick. We want the stage. We want the recognition. We want the influence and we want to bypass doing it right. Mm
1: hmm. That's right. And
2: doing it well with people, yeah. and the posture and like the post and like I, I like being wrestling with so much of this stuff over the last two years. The posture, servanthood. Mm-hmm. Nothing else, not influence, <clears throat> not recognition, not your books, not your Instagram feeds, none of that. It's servanthood.
0: Yeah,
2: serve well. You know, serve well. Like, and what does that look like? Like, what what does that look like for people? Like, what does that look like for the church? What does that look like when? It, so when I look at, you know, like, you know, I zoom in modern and see human trafficking. You know, I, I don't want, I I, don't, I want to stand up and do a TED talk. You know, I don't want to do that, right? I, 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 I want to do some stuff that serves people and allows them to exit. So, you know, like that's that's the thing. And I want to empower people or challenge people or scratch the surface of stuff that uncovers stuff that allows more people to recognize the issue and then therefore bring freedom to other people. Yeah. That's it. Just posture and servanthood yeah. and, and do that. You know, the, because the other thing, you'll get to the end with all of the recognition and achieve what? Mm. You know, a blue tick on your Instagram. You know, I like to say, that sounds callous, but do you know what I mean? I, I, what, I'm what? Yeah. You know, I, like I'm what? Yeah. You know, like I just, yeah. I'm probably getting two mostly in that one. I hear you. That's not, yeah, it's not, yeah. Um,
1: people have, uh, just thinking about your wee seven year old, he want to see he want to see his daddy before
2: he goes to bed. So it, nah, get getting the bed, I hope he's in bed already. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's not. He's, he's racking upstairs. I
1: can hear him. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I think there's uh, there's part of me honestly has just been um so floored by some what you've shared, and I'm so I find so much of it so helpful and really inspired by. What you're doing, and so inspired by your posture. I think that's uh, some of that stuff has been so helpful, Pete. And um, really grateful for your time. And there's probably so much more that we could we could talk through and and scratch at, Um and maybe we'll maybe we'll do that another at another stage. Yeah, I'd love that. But there's one. There is one question that I always like to finish with, Pete. And uh, I didn't yeah. I didn't warn you of this. Apologise, but i'm holding out i'm actually thinking i'm holding out for pretty good recommendations here pete so no. what is it that you're reading watching or listening to that you would recommend to uh to us and to people listening in today tonight
2: oh right here my reports are about to go but i'll like i'll be down oh, i think they're gone Are they? no sorry hold on a seconds. oh no we'll go is that us now that's it yeah sorry the big build up
1: to, big build up to these recommendations people <laughs>
2: yeah, didn't charge me our pause before it came on that's terrible terrible banter um so uh, what i'm reading what, or what i've just finished reading that essentially has probably been the best book i've read about church in a long long time is a church called Tove. By um, Scott McKnight and Laura Oh yes, yes, up. yes. Um sorry, sorry, Laura, I forgot your second name. Thanks. Um so that I, I think it it talks about power imbalances in church and abuses in church and oh, how yeah. the church, how the church should respond um and respond accordingly. Um so That has been very, very good. Great. Great. What about watching? Watching anything? Oh, watching! I've just started Winter Soldier and Falcon. Quite enjoying that. Oh, good. On the old Disney Plus. Not too sure about Disney, but you know, like (laughs) good content.
0: they've got us trapped we can't we can't look away from disney Plus now
2: you said it not me (laughs) um so yeah just started watching that um so that's good um and then listening did you say listening right um this is it's not new or anything right Am I saying music or is this like a podcast thing? Oh, whatever, we'll just anything, oh, whatever. Okay. We right. know you. We know you've been listening to ordinary people. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 all the time, just follow <laughs> without <me> today. Um. <laughs> so. <laughs> um. So listening to right, um, and this is listening and watch right, and I, I, I haven't really touched on this, but I, I I'm a DJ as well, and um, yes. so this this is worth a watch if you're in there, a wee bit of live kind of electronic music and visual stimulus um rufus DeSoul, soul live at joshua tree go and watch that type that into youtube it, typing it's, in? it's about 40 minutes long uh-huh. and it's it's great so yeah i can't get away from that i listen to that album all the time okay Good stuff. Good
1: recommendations, Pete. I was going to watch. I was going to start watching Winter or The Falcon Soldier with my boy tomorrow.
2: Good. It's great. Appropriate. He's twelve. It's appropriate. All right. Uh, Um. Oh Oh no! I actually don't know. I actually don't know. Like. um, Yeah. Well, I suppose so. And like, I, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, like, I, like, I sit down with my. Like seven-year-olds, so I watch all the Star Wars movies. So, you know, there's people getting run through and with lightsabers and stuff. So, I have at it. Well, I was gonna, I was going to give you a I couple of ex- counselling life. <laughs> I was going to give you
1: a couple of examples of what I do let him watch, but I'm in case my mum and dad are listening, silence
2: <laughs> <in. laughs> the lambs and all. Can't go to sleep <laughs> you're traumatized.
1: Um, Pete, thank you so much. Honestly, I've uh, really enjoyed um I really enjoyed this chat and
2: crazy. Yeah, it's been loads of fun things. Well, not fun, but it's been <laughs> it's been a good good chat. Yeah. See, this is the thing. I'm quite a positive person and then when you're talking about modern slavery, you can't be like really enjoyed training you today while you're talking about all this carnage, yeah. you know. You um, yeah. And it was one of those it was one
1: of those moments where you're talking about taking like am I allowed to laugh here? Is it okay to sort of
2: <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. laugh
1: please tell jokes about
2: it? <laughs> yeah. Liam Neeson um, no, like, well like to be fair Liam Neeson he did bring a lot of attention and did do a lot of good stuff yeah. out of the back of that film but obviously it was dramatised and stigmatised and all for yes. a lovely yeah. audience
1: super Pete thank you so much alright thank, thank you thank you, thanks guys Ordinary
0: People was hosted by Neil It was produced, edited and engineered by Andrew Griffin and Paul Woods. Head over to OrdinaryPodcast.com for show notes, links, previous episodes and all the ways you can contact the show. See you next time.